I remember growing up and hearing the more seasoned saints in the church say, um, sometimes you have to sing yourself happy. Sometimes you have to sing yourself through uh, unbelief and disbelief. Um, this week, if, if you're going through Rooted with us, you're, you're in that midst of study that's covering where is God in the midst of suffering. And sometimes as you sing words, and, and um, one of the things I love about fellowship is that um, we, we want songs that are true biblically. But here's the deal. Just because it's true biblically doesn't mean that you believe that it's true in your heart. Doesn't believe, mean that you um, are living in that truth in your life. And sometimes as you sing those words, you have to choke them out because you're finding it hard to believe that he, he's really perfect in all his ways. I know that some of you are going through different things and... and been in a time in your life where saying those words, you feel like you're lying. Keep singing. Keep letting your heart cry out to God who really is a good, good father. In spite of what you feel, in spite of what you may be experiencing, Trust his word when you can't trust your experience. If you are visiting Fellowship High Crest for the first time, I want to let you know that today you will see um, some page numbers on the screen. And those page numbers will correlate with the blue Bibles that you found in your seat. If you don't have a Bible, then please take that Bible as our gift to you. If you have a Bible but it's not easy to read, then please take that Bible as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. This morning, we start our new sermon series, Middle Manager, Handling uh, handling Money for God's Glory or God's Way. Why would I call this Middle Manager? Why would we entitle this series Middle Manager? Here's why. Most of us drag ourselves out of bed every day to go to a job that we are all right with, to work around people that we're just all right with. And therefore, we believe that at the end of the week or on the 1st and the 15th, that whatever they put in that paycheck, we have deserved and we have earned every penny of it. And what's more is we believe that since we drug ourselves out of bed every day and went to a job that we were just all right with and worked around people that we were just all right with, that everything that we can afford to buy or own with that paycheck that we've earned is ours and we deserve it. We've earned it. We have a right to it. You know, if you don't grind, you don't shine, right? That's... That's the saying. If, if you don't grind, you don't shine. The problem with you don't grind, you don't shine, and believing everything that you have is yours is it's not biblical. Yeah. 
It's simply not biblical. The Bible says that God is the provider of all things. And it says that we are stewards. See, the problem is, is that stewards don't own anything. Stewards manage somebody else's stuff. So while we think of ourselves at the apex of the money chain, we're really somewhere more in the middle. Believing that is hard, though, because we live in an individualistic, pull your own self up by your bootstraps kind of society. We say that if you don't have it, then you ain't worked hard enough. That all the opportunity to have whatever you want is out there, but you didn't do something right. That's the kind of society we live in. But if we were to take a step back and we were to really assess the situation, then we would have to admit some things to ourselves. We would have to admit that we didn't give ourselves the bodily functions in order to get up and drag ourselves to the job that we were just all right with, to work around people that we were just all right with. We would have to admit that, that we didn't give ourselves the gifts and talents that allow us to be successful in whatever God has called us to do for a vocation we would have to admit that we didn't even call the circumstances that allowed a job to be available for us to go work. We would have to admit that we didn't do any of those things. We couldn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we don't even own bootstraps. God did all those things. We could approach our incorrect view of money by helping you get a better job that, that allowed you to have a bigger budget, that, that allowed you more disposable income where maybe you would give a little bit more and, and buy a lot more stuff. But the problem is, even if we succeeded at all those things, it wouldn't solve our money problem. It would only exasperate it. Why? Because money is an amplifier. Money or the lack of money only takes what is in our heart and magnifies it. So during this series, we won't be teaching you how to budget. Rather, we'll be be asking questions that allow the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit to shape your heart when it comes to money. So let's dive in. Our focal passage for this morning is found in Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 10 and is on page 459. Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 10 on page 459. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and and they never stop producing fruit. I wish somebody was reading with me. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, 
the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. And I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. This is God's word. See, I acknowledge my call to ministry in the fall of 2003. And in February of 2004, I, I preached my first sermon um, before the congregation. I was licensed as a minister of the gospel. Um, and over those years, I have often had people affirm to me my gift for sharing the word of God through sermon messages, through Bible studies, through different things. But I would be lying to you if I told you that I, I, I didn't enjoy receiving those compliments. I will be lying to you that if, if I didn't tell you that most weeks I struggle with anxiety due to fear that this would be the Sunday, this would be the week that I'm rejected. I will be lying to you that, that I, if I didn't tell you that most Sundays afternoons when my wife asked me how the sermon went, I tell her something like it was trash or somewhere around mediocre. I would be lying to you that if I didn't tell you that my my feelings to perform or or have all the right compliments and all the right words to say to people before and after service on Sundays and Wednesdays didn't didn't cause me to lose um, sleep or affect the way I interacted with my family on Sunday afternoon. Because of my already high in insecurities. Throughout all the sermons and Bible lessons that I've taught there uh, and all the provocative um, issues that I've approached, I I have stayed away from one. I've stayed away from the topic of money. See, my insecurities tend to cause me not to want to make people intentionally upset with me. I'm speaking out now. Why am I speaking out now? I'm speaking out now because the church has gone money mad. And seeing your homie bugging and not saying nothing ain't what, what friends do. What do I mean when I say that the church has gone money mad? Here's what I mean. Christians now give less per capita than during the Great Depression. But God is good, though, right? 7.4 of professed churchgoers give an average of 6.9% of their yearly income. That means about over the entire body of Christ in this country, only about 7.4% of them give anything. And that average, when you look at what we give, is about 6.9%. 17% of church attending adults claim the tithe, while only three actually do so. See, here's the deal. We always talk about how we like real, but in reality, we are not being real with one another. 17% are claiming to do it, while only 3% are really doing it. Eight out of 10 people who give 10% or more have zero credit debt. Now, that hits on something else. 8% of those making $20,000 or less gave at least 10% of their income uh, to churches, while 1% of those making $75,000 to $99,000, almost $100,000, gave a similar amount. How many of you said, man, if I hit the lottery, boy, I would give this and I would do this? We ain't being real with ourselves. 
33% of the U.S. born-again Christians say it's impossible for them to get ahead in life because of the financial debt they have incurred. You know, I, I heard something like 80% of guys who finish seminary will never go into ministry, and the number one reason is finances. You paid money to go to school because you felt God had called you into ministry, and then you can't do it because you haven't made wise financial decisions. We've gone money mad. 37% of those attending evangelical churches don't give anything at all to their local church in any way. We're quick to say how we should be spending money. Over the last decade, giving overall has increased 20%, but recreational spending increased 125%, and debt spending increased 550%. Lord, you know if I had it, I would give it. We have gone money mad. You see, I, I collected this data from multiple sources, but one of them was a guy named Larry Burkett of, of Crown, uh, Burkett of Crown Financial Ministries, who I got some of this information. This is what he also said. He said the Christian world is no different from the secular world when it comes to debt, bankruptcy, and divorce because priorities are misplaced. Money is just the outside indicator of what's going on in our lives spiritually. It's a spiritual problem being reflected through their finances. I think it's really time that God's people decided that God really does want us to live by a different set of rules. What Mr. Burkett is, Burkett is trying to call out in his research is also what the author of our focal passage this morning is trying to call out to, to his people. Our focal passage is written by the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the only prophet in the Bible that recorded his feelings as he ministered. There's also no other prophet in the Bible that, that has more striking similarities to the Savior, Jesus Christ, than he. The book of Jeremiah was written to a culture which knew God and deliberately turned away. He was writing into a fractured culture. What is a fractured culture? A fractured culture is one um, called that because you have these two great or multiple great power blocks with radically different visions of what life should be and what people should be doing and what's right or wrong. And they were at war with one another. Sound familiar? They were battling each other. You and I live in a fractured culture. There's no consistent, you know, consensus. There are these great power blocks with radically different visions of what is right and wrong and what is true and so on. I feel like this makes this uh, verse, this, this passage even more relevant to where we are this morning. So in reality, when you look at these things, our money insanity is really a, a matter of cardiac depravity. Or in other words, it, it's the result of a heart sickness. Jeremiah explains this in our passage, so let's jump in. The first one is we're asking the wrong question. You know, now even when we do talk about money in the church, we tend to stop around how to use money, how we pursue money, and, and how we budget our money. And when we do that, all we're doing is camouflaging the elephant. 
We take a heart issue and make it into an application issue. We treat the symptom and not the problem. Notice where Jeremiah starts off in our focal passage. When, when addressing a culture that has turned away from God, he doesn't start by addressing their actions. He speaks into their hearts. And, and in the church, we have a bad history of trying to modify behavior rather than seeing the Holy Spirit transform the heart. Because it's a lot easier to treat symptoms than it is to treat the cause of it, to go deep. In verse 5, Jeremiah speaks about the heart, and then he spends verses 6 through 8 talking about trees, and then verse 9, he's back on, on hearts. What's that about? Well, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, they, they frequently use the term heart to identify um, a, a person's thinking and acting. It describes the root of unconscious as well as conscious motivations. Jeremiah is contrasting the root of two trees to tell us about our hearts. The Latin word for roots is also where we get our English word radical. So what you have here, what Jeremiah was trying to say to his people then, and what I'm trying to share this morning, is the reason that buzzing alone won't cure our money madness is, is because buzzing alone doesn't change the roots or where our roots get their water. It doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't change where they find their anchor. It doesn't change where we find our hope and, and our joy and our security. Uh, more Disposable income won't necessarily increase our trust in God. If anything, besides a deep relationship with God is what brings you joy, is what waters your soul, then verses 5 and 6 says that you are setting yourself up to be exposed. Not only are you setting yourself up to be exposed, but it says that you have set yourself up to have your growth stunted. What do we mean by exposed? I mean, when hard times hit or God forbid you lose all that money that you've worked to earn or or tried to keep, then you're going to feel this sense of hopelessness. You'll feel that all is lost. How can you say that? Well, I can say that by looking at the example of Christ right after he was baptized, right after he heard the voice of God saying, this is my son and who I'm well pleased, right after we see the spirit descend like a dove on him and be on him and everybody's like, man, John the Baptist, like this dude right here is the guy. He's taken into the wilderness. He's taken into this barren place. And yet you see him refuse to be comforted and find his trust or joy in anything that this world can offer. That's what we see in Christ. That's what we see in his example. He didn't find his identity or his comfort in these things. So here's what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with having a budget. It's wise to have a budget. There are many great budgeting tools out there. The problem is the quality of our budgeting skills won't cause our hearts to trust in God. Why is that the case? It's because we were born elephant blind. What do I mean by that? The reason why buzzing alone won't cure our money insanity is because of what verse 9 says. It says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It, is, it says that our hearts are fatally sick. 
So here's what this means. It says our hearts are, are fatally sick. Jeremiah says that they were born elephant blindness. It's saying it like you get a cut on your hand. You're in the kitchen and you, you cutting onions and you start crying a little bit and the knife slip and you cut your hand a little bit. You bleed a little bit. You put a Band-Aid on it, but you go on about your business. And then over the next couple of days, you watch your hand heal. He said, this ain't like that. He said, no, no, no. This is not one of those where you can put a Band-Aid on it. Your heart is fatally sick. You need a doctor. This ain't going to heal on its own. This ain't going to just cure up. You can't just put water on this and, and go on about your business. He said there is something structurally fatally wrong with our hearts. He said there is something about our hearts that causes us to be incapable of forming proper beliefs. When it comes to money, here are four things that we do that cause us to do what must never be done with money. And that's love it. Here are four things that help us go there. The first one is ingratitude. A grateful heart is a heart at rest. A grateful person is, is aware that he deserves nothing that he, that he possesses and enjoys. And because of this, he daily counts his blessing and is thankful for the little things that would otherwise be taken for granted. The unthankful person does just the opposite. He keeps telling himself that he deserves more than he has. And because of this, he is way more aware of what he doesn't have than all the things that he's been graciously given. This causes him to live an entitled and demanding life, never quite satisfied. He, he, he easily justifies a wasteful and selfish use of money. That's what happens when you're ungrateful. Need is the second one. This is one of the most poorly and overused words in the human culture. I mean, the majority of what we tell ourselves we need, we don't actually need. We're all very skilled at loading our desires into the need category. And once we have, we think it's our right to have these things, and, and therefore it's appropriate to use whatever means necessary to go get it because it's a need, right? It's, it's not a want, it's a need. So we waste all kinds of money satisfying needs that aren't really needs and all the while feeling comfortable because we've convinced ourselves that it's a need. It seems right to acquire. I mean, here's where it gets personal. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Trisha and we were talking about pick up and drop off duty of the kids. And since all three of our kids are in car seats, I can't fit all three of them in the truck at one time. And so that makes it more uh, complicated when we're on pick up and drop off duty um, with the kids. We have to change cars and do all these other things. And I told her, I said, Trisha, I need a four door truck. <laughs> Truth is, my truck runs just fine. I want a four door truck. I don't need a four door truck. As a matter of fact, getting in the truck at this point would be a huge burden on my life. It would decrease the amount that Trisha and I are able to be generous to other people. 
Not only that, it would put a serious stress and strain on our ability to live healthily within the financial boundaries that God has given us. See, remember when we were doing that parenting series and we said the goal of parenting is to teach your kids how to live happily within the boundaries that God has given them. And one of the ways you do that is by modeling that before your kids. But see, for a lot of us, when it comes to our own finances, we haven't let ourselves in the ability to live happily within the financial boundaries that God has given us. And that's why we have risen 550% in our debt spending. The third one is discontent. I'm going to keep moving. Because we are not grateful for all the things that we've been given and don't deserve, and because we have misdiagnosed lead loading things that we want into the need category um, that are not needs, then we are a group of constantly discontent people. We'll tend to spend more money than we should to satisfy our discontent. But because our discontent is rooted in uh, ingratitude and misdiagnosed need, spending more won't solve our problem. So we'll end up spending more than we have because we are trying to do something that just won't work. My high school health teacher used to say like this, that dog just ain't going to hunt. Contentment isn't a money problem. It isn't a physical position or location problem. It's a problem of the heart and therefore it's not solved by spending. If you're not happy with the wife you have, you ain't going to be happy with the next one that you get. If you're not happy with the house that you have, then you're not going to be happy with the next one that you get. If you can't thank God for the car that you're riding in now, then you're not going to be able to thank him for the next one that you get. You're going to always, I tell you what, you drive it off the lot and the next day you're going to hear this weird noise or see somebody that has the upper package than what you were able to afford and you're going to be discontent again. That is a heart issue. If you're not happy with with the chairs in in your church, then you ain't going to be happy when you go to the next one. You're going to always find something. Always. Envy. That That leads us to this fourth one, envy. If you are unthankful and convinced that you deserve more, if you have been able to convince yourself that these are things that you need that you don't have, this has left you deeply discontent and you will invariably look over the fence. And envy the person who appears to have what you have not yet attained, which you have not yet been able to acquire and enjoy. Envious people are always taking account. Envious people are always comparing. Run on your treadmill. Stop looking at other folks' treadmill. Envious people are constantly uh, placing things on, he has this, but, but I don't have this list. Envious people regularly feel that they have been given a a bad deal and that it's a right for them to use their resources to settle the score. Envy will cause you to be both self-oriented and foolish in your use of money. Now, you remember during the opening 
that I told you that Jeremiah is the only prophet that recorded his feelings as he ministered. Well, verses 9 through 10 is actually one of those times. Verses 9 and 10 are a confession of Jeremiah, the prophet, the person God was using. He was talking about his own heart. In verses 9 and 10, he was saying it something like this. He said, if there is such blessing in trusting God, then why do people so generally depend on their fellow humans? Why is it that blessed, uh, why, the blessed are not more numerous than the curse, the answer lies in the innate depravity of the human heart? In terms of money, it might sound something like this. Why are there not more generous, self-sacrificially given, content followers of Christ who are able to live within their means and find their joy in him who is the giver and sustainer of all life. The answer lies in the natural evil of the human heart. The problem with money is not that it exists. The problem with money money is not that you have too much or too little of it. Money problems are always heart problems. They're they're deeper than the size of your paycheck and, and the exactness of your budget. Money can be a curse curse or a blessing. If you're here this morning and you're feeling that because you are debt free, that you got money in the bank, you have some disposable income and you keep a meticulous budget, that you don't have money problems, then you've likely missed something that I've said this morning. If you're here and you feel that because you don't have as much money, that, that you don't have the money problems that those with larger salaries have, then you've likely missed something that I've said this morning. If you are here and you're feeling helpless to fight against the money issues in your heart, then I have a confession for you. My fear of performance is not the only reason I haven't spoken uh, on money in 14 years. There are another couple of reasons. The first is I feared people associating with me with or thinking I was just about money or the prosperity gospel. And I'm going to tell you something. Living life by what you don't want to be is a terrible way to live. And the second is this. I've not preached on money in 14 years because I, too, struggle with money just as much as you. Yes, I've been debt free for a number of years and and we don't and we do have some disposable income. But I struggle with ingratitude, misdiagnosed need, discontentment and envy just as much as you do. Like you, I keep finding myself wanting to abandon God and do my own thing because I was trusting in God for something that he didn't give me. Each time after I've done this, I've had to take a step back and and, and I've looked and examined what went wrong. And I found myself in this endless loop of trusting God for something that was my real trust. Let me say that again. Each time I found myself in this loop of wanting to abandon God because I felt like he had abandoned me, I saw that I was trusting in God for something that was really my trust. See, it's possible for us to trust in God for something and God not to be our trust. And that gets to the heart of our money issues. I was trusting in God for human approval, but God wasn't my trust. I was trusting in God to have kids, but, but God wasn't my trust. And therefore, each thing that I made my trust failed me and led to another breakdown. Each thing led to a 
twisted and distorted view of the God of the universe and what he really wanted from me, which was a relationship. And as I thought of all the ways to end this sermon, I kept coming up blank. And here's why. I I had nothing and I had pulled the loose thread of all the self-help books and, and slide tricks and all those things. And I know that they don't work. And all I had to give you at the end is what Jeremiah had to give his people in verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, oh, Lord, if you heal me. I will truly be healed. If you save me, I will truly be saved. My praises are for you alone. Our radically flawed hearts need a radical cure. What's wrong with us won't heal on its own. What's wrong with us is we don't need a rain and our drought. That's not our problem. We don't have to keep waiting for our season to come. That is not our problem. We need to be replanted where our roots seek water, not at the surface of life in our circumstances, but in deep relationship with the Savior of the universe. A tree can't replant itself. Someone else has to do that. Do you want a new water source? Are you tired of chasing fleeting storms, wishing that your day was coming? Guess what? Your Savior's already come, and you can be saved. You can have the same confidence that Jeremiah had. I wish you that you would take that verse. He said, if you heal me, I will be healed. If you save me, I will truly be saved. I wish that I had somebody that believed that this morning. Have you asked to be healed? Have you asked to be saved? Do you believe that his Holy Spirit can heal you? Do you believe that he can save you? Are you willing to make him where you find your water? Are you willing to make him the anchor of your soul? Are you willing to make him your trust, your confidence, your hope? In a second, I'm going to pray. No special words, no special order of words. Just a prayer of trust and thanks. Some of us in this room need to do this for the first time. Some of us need to do it again. Because there's parts of our life that we've been holding back. And we've been trusting in God. For what our real trust is. Yes, we can. Help you if you don't have a budget. If you need a new job, we're willing to help you with that. But the elephant in the room is that none of those things will do us any good if God doesn't cause us to have a change in heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We admit that we're lost without you. We're incapable of healing on our own. We're incapable of the change that needs to happen. We're tired. We're worn. We've tried everything else. We tried every fad more than once. And we found that we don't have the strength. So now we're asking you to heal us. 
we're asking your supernatural Holy Spirit to step into our lives and change our hearts. We believe that if you're willing, it will be done. We know that we've strayed. We know that we've turned our own way, not because we don't know what you ask, but because we've chosen to turn away. We've gone our own way. And sometimes we struggle with the thought of if you want us back. But we know you do. Your word promises we can always return. And so today we're returning. Today we're coming back. Today we're saying our life is yours. Today we're saying our, our finances, our, our possessions, our, our pursuits are yours. There's someone here, Father, that doesn't know you. I pray that we would believe that you sent your son to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we couldn't die, all so that we could have a relationship with you, that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to hide, but we can express our insecurities with you. We can be open and real about them. We can trust you with our heartaches. We can trust you with our joy. We can trust you with our hopes and our confidence. So, Father, I pray that you will begin to shape and transform our hearts. We praise you. We love you. We honor you. In your darling son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.